Welcome to the Old Mole Variety Hour today, Diana Meisenhelter. It's good to be back. Well, in December, you were part of a group that gathered at City Hall to express opposition to the city council decision to grant Zenith Energy, the fossil fuel terminal in Northwest Portland, a land use compatibility statement or LUX. Let's start with what that is. What is a land use compatibility statement? Sure. The Zenith Energy Fossil Fuel Oil Export Facility has been operating illegally without an air quality permit from DEQ for years. They openly vent toxics and carcinogens from the oil tankers, and they need a lux from the city to show that their operations were compatible with the city's comprehensive land use plan in order to for DEQ to grant them. But Zenith violates or puts at risk multiple sections of that document, the simplest being a healthy environment that sustains people, neighborhoods, fish, and wildlife, as well as the city policy of no fossil fuel expansion not serving regional use. And after massive public pressure, the city denied them the lux in 2021, which Zenith challenged in court, but the city won three consecutive court challenges all the way to the Oregon Supreme Court. Then, unexpectedly, Dan Ryan, in a backroom deal without public input, granted them a lux based on a promise that they would transition to renewable fuels in five years. So there's a long history of community resistance to Zenith and to the city's failure to take what many of you as necessary actions with this company. And so this fight over Lux and the city granting them this statement through their recent decision is part of a long history. Why is this a bad decision and how does it fit within the history of decisions the city councils made around Zenith? Well, we don't think it's responsible leadership to make policy based on unsubstantiated promises with an untrustworthy company that has a history of lying to regulators and using shady practices. Zenith still violates the city's comprehensive plan, and nothing has changed since they denied that first lux. Also, their promise to reduce emissions by 80% with renewables is likely false. Given scientific testimony of the renewable fuel hearings about the problematic modeling around this shows that it depends on multiple factors, the feed stock, alternative land use options, and so much more. So there's no real way of knowing how much, if any, actual emissions reductions will occur. So why not do something verifiable rather than work based on modeling that hasn't been proven and will lock in diesel as opposed to transitioning to clean energy and public transportation. So just to back up a moment, the city council claims that Zenith has made a good faith effort to transition to renewable within five years. Is that right? If that's right. Well, they don't know. They believe that they they promised it. Yes. They have promised that. And what exactly have they promised? To transition to renewable energy within five years. But basically, renewable diesel is the exact same chemical composition as diesel. So it will continue to pose the same health and safety risks to our communities. Open venting of toxics, spills and infernos if there are seismic or derailment events that threaten the health and safety of neighborhoods, Forest Park, 
north, northeast, northwest Portland, the gorge, the Willamette and Columbia River ecosystems. So basically, this is a risky deal with the devil. Is this also a climate justice issue? And I mean, the impacts are very far reaching, but can you speak to this as a climate justice issue? Yes, northeast Portland already have some of the worst air quality in the city. And that has been a ongoing battle for years. And the city have done other backroom deals, such as killing the Portland Clean Air Protection Program that their own staff came up with. And their promise is hollow. I've, I've already explained the problems with renewables, but based on local and national evidence, we don't believe that can be trusted. If modeling and market forecasts prove to be wrong, what's to stop them from using this as an excuse just to keep moving oil and expanding? And there's so many better and safer alternatives that don't violate the hard-fought parts of the city's comprehensive land use plan or put community health and safety at risk. Well, let's turn a little later to some of those alternatives, but I'd like to stay with the council member's decision a bit longer. What were the pressures on the council members in, in making this decision? And what were some of the, were there any critical votes or is there any leverage there with the new city council in place? There were no votes because this was a backroom deal where Dan Ryan made this deal with Zenith. Activists were unaware that the deal was in progress and so didn't have the opportunity to present counter pressure and evidence in a public hearing, which we believe is called for in specific city ordinances. And I can cite those later if we want. The city has caved to the business community before, like the Clean Air Protection Program I mentioned. Their explanation was that it would be costly, take time, and apparently they didn't trust their own abilities to make the specific needed arguments to the land use board on the violations to the land use compatibility plan, which is surprising. So they weren't sure that they could win again. In terms of time and costs, the hazards laid out in the county CEI hub seismic risk analysis about what might happen in this liquefaction zone in the case of an earthquake details that it will be worse than Fukushima or Deepwater Horizon. So the costs and time for dealing with it both financial and destructive, will be unthinkable. So before talking about the action plan for this Thursday, I think you're moving in the direction of the importance of mass political pressure on the city around Zenith. Let's reflect some on the history of struggles with Zenith Energy and why this company has been such a focus of local climate activism. So this Texas company came into Portland surreptitiously under an expansion permit for an old asphalt plant, knowing it was in violation of city codes. It exports tar sands and other problematic fossil fuels, not for regional use, but adding to the climate crisis and at great risk to public health and safety, our neighborhoods and natural resources. Reports have shown that they have a poor national track record as well. And from the beginning, when we found out about it, there have been massive efforts to try and stop and shut them down because they are in violation of the city's comprehensive land use policies. And there have been some victories over the years. So reflecting 
back on the mobilization in opposition to Zenith, I actually got to know you and other organizers with the Portland Extinction Rebellion, XR, when XR carried out a direct action at Zenith in 2019. That led to a jury trial where activists successfully used a necessity defense. So in a way, it's a kind of Sisyphus experience of pushing and then retreating with the powerful forces arrayed against this movement, the climate justice movement. What do you conclude from this long fight? And have there been any important victories or is it just pushing and then being pushed back? Well, as documented in some amazing films, <laughs> including, um, <laughs> including necessity, climate justice and the thin green line. <laughs> yes, we've learned that when given the facts, the public that might not know anything like in the trial with the necessity defense, the public knows the right stance. But it takes a mass movement of folks turning out to pressure the city for them to do the right thing. And our organizing in the blast zone communities and the thousands of postcards, petition signatures, calls, and letters led to the first Lux denial. And that was COVID a victory. Made, that was a victory, a huge victory. And the three court decisions in favor of the city were all three victories. So it's very surprising to us that the city is dropping the ball on this at this critical time. COVID made the organizing difficult for a while, but we believe that now is the time to rebuild that movement and ensure that enough pressure is put on the city and all levels of government so that we can be successful. They are our elected leaders and should be serving our health and public safety interests, not the profits of outside corporations who don't care about our community or their created risks. Do you think this calls for any shift in strategy. So as I understand it, Zenith, like the fossil fuel industry in general, has tried to paint itself as shifting toward the transition to renewables, no longer completely denying the climate emergency, but rather positioning themselves as champions of a, a rational transition. So does this call yes, for um, any shift in, in the movement's narrative or storytelling around this? Well, yes. Zenith, Northwest Natural Gas. I mean, many of these companies are greenwashed in every chance they get. And this is one of them. Yes. And this is one of them. Exactly. And so we're constantly using our first demand of tell the truth to confront both them and the city about what is really happening and try and push the needle in the other way. But that takes a large movement. And that's why, you know, we continue to organize. And, you know, there's parts of our movement that are working on the legislative and other kinds of strategies. Extinction Rebellion tends to work on direct action strategies, and we all come together to support each other in every way that we can in order to move the needle forward. Well, let's talk about what's happening with the Scrub the Hub Coalition. It has a nice lyrical ring to it. What's that about? And tell us what will actually be happening and what you hope to achieve. So Zenith is part of the critical energy infrastructure or the CEI hub on the edge of Northwest Portland, which stores 90% of the state's fuels. 
And the entire area is in a dangerous liquefaction zone that in the county report described earlier is a serious threat to our communities. State legislators and others are working what to do with the risky old storage tanks that are out there. And the Scrub the Hub Coalition would like to see the city rescind the locks and develop a comprehensive transition plan to address public health and safety, as well as begin the much needed process of branch pruning, transportation electrification, and deconcentration of fossil fuels in this hazardous area. Over 24 groups have been working to get the city to rescind the locks, including faith groups like Ecumenical Ministries and Eco-Faith Recovery, labor groups like Portland Jobs for Justice and Climate Jobs, youth groups like Sunrise and Youth Climate Strike, health groups like Physicians for Social Responsibility and Neighbors for Clean Air, neighborhood groups like Linton, Portsmouth, Cathedral Park, River protection groups like Braided River, Columbia River, Portland Harbor Community, and others, and a very long list of most of the major environmental groups in Portland, such as 350PDX, Audubon, Breach Collective, Cedar Action, Sierra Club, and Extinction Rebellion PDX. So we're meeting outside City Hall, which is 1221 Southwest 4th Avenue downtown at 845 a.m., and it's this Wednesday, February 8th. We're going to be testifying before city council and hope to fill the chambers with supporters. Almost two months ago, when local climate activists testified and were leaving a city council meeting singing, we've got the power, Mayor Ted Wheeler responded by yelling, but I've got the gavel. So his childish taunt inspired this symbolic grab the gavel protest as community members continue demanding that the city stop putting its dangerous oil trains thundering through our neighborhoods. The mayor and city council seem to miss that they work for us and need to listen to the thousands of the voices that over the years have expressed concern over Zenith's multiple risks to public health, safety, and climate justice. So we're metaphorically grabbing the gavel and we'll be leaving cardboard models of gavels with messaging on them for the council before pushing for a much needed meeting with Commissioner Rubio. She's been recently assigned to the Bureau of Developmental Services, which oversees Zenith and is also in charge of the city's climate work plan and the one who now could organize a public hearing to collect evidence and introduce measures to rescind the lux. So one response to companies like Zenith is that we are stuck with these horrible fossil fuel terminals and the public depends on them, if not for their lethal products here, the overall transport for now of these fossil fuels or their watered down, slightly less toxic alternatives. How can we imagine a path forward and to enlist the climate pledges the city has made in its climate action plan to pursue a like a genuine path to green energy? What are our alternatives? Well, although this is going to be hard, it's not impossible. It's doable. A doctor from Physicians for Social Responsibility has identified, for instance, a leaking methane tank that's owned by Northwest Natural, and that is only used to supply overflow energy needs in the winter to parts of North, Northeast, and Northwest Portland. If PCEF funds, the Portland Clean Energy Fund, were used to help electrify this area or catalyze an immediate push for the 10% community-controlled energy outlined in the community in the climate work plan, then ratepayers could forego the expense of having to replace that old school tank 
and we could begin branch pruning and the transition to cleaner and healthier energies. This is just a single example of how that work might begin. And in the transportation sector, it's the same thing. We need to move towards electrification, towards more accessible, affordable, and incentives for public transit and for not doing the things that increase vehicle miles traveled, but instead pushing for bikes and pedestrians and safety and all of the kinds of things that will make alternative transportation modes more usable for folks, microtransit. So the larger community is rich in ideas and its own political energy to seek out alternatives with the technologies that we have at hand that don't require a kind of magical thinking about the worst of these fuels being converted into something more livable. And it's more a matter of of mobilizing to put the kind of political pressure on the city council that would offset the pressure of the powerful business interests in the area. Is exactly. that a fair assessment of the situation? Yeah, exactly. It's political will. That is what it is. And courage. <laughs> they know that according to climate science, we have to begin a significant downward decline in emissions by 2025 and half emissions, you know, or cut them in half by 2030. That's a short timeline. That's a short time from now. And yet not a single substantive city policy has begun to reduce emissions here locally. In fact, they're still increasing, which is unacceptable. Yeah. Well, Diana Meisenhelter, thank you so much for your work and for joining us today on The Old Mole at KBU. And we'll see you at City Hall this Wednesday morning. People are asked to gather at 7.45 a.m. Is that right? Yeah. Wear red if possible because of the fiery explosions that are likely to occur out there if we don't take action. Where can people learn more about the event and the coalition behind this Scrub the Hub? I would say most of the environmental organizations in Portland should have flyers up. But the main thing is it's pretty simple. We're just attending a city council meeting at 1221 Southwest 4th Avenue. This meeting outside at 845 in the morning this Wednesday, February 8th, and going into council chambers together. So join us. We need your support. It's going to take a massive movement to move the needle on this one. Okay. Thanks so much, Diana. And thanks so much for your ongoing work. We'll see you. Many, many people and organizations. Okay. Well, we'll see you at City Hall. (laughs) Thank you.